You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast. A cricket podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. Today we have a really special guest Nikhil from the Carib Cricket Podcast joining us. Our other regular host Giri is uh, on a break. So, you know, we have this special guest that we would like to have a chat with. So, welcome to Armchair Cricket Podcast Nikhil. How are you doing? Yeah, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Um really great to be here ahead of a big series for the West Indies. Uh obviously me being in the Caribbean it's great to you know preview this series and a lot of other issues in cricket with you. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Oh, it's it's a pleasure Nikhil. Well, before we go any further, you live in the Caribbean you said. So how is uh, that part of the world and Barbados in particular coping with uh, corona? How how are things there? Well, I think um we've actually done a pretty good job. We're under 100 confirmed cases. We've had uh, I think it's about 4 weeks now without a uh, active case we've just had a couple imported but overall i would say we're doing pretty well we're getting to opening back up now and i know compared to a lot of other countries in the world we have to be really grateful for our situation and yeah we're just being cautious at the same time but a lot of things are going back to normalcy now so that that's great news to hear fantastic fantastic well i mean we are not that that lucky here yet in the netherlands it's about uh, 100 odd cases each day and we are very close to the 50000 mark the last wow. time i checked but um yeah uh, we don't keep uh, accurate record of how many recoveries but the number of deaths the number of hospital intake has really gone down to single figures in the last week or so so you know I, we are also sort of feeling a bit confident we might have uh, sort of gotten a handle on it it will not go away you know on next couple of months or next half a year or yeah, year sure. but i mean it's not as sunny as there in barbados nikhil for us both in terms of uh, <laughs> weather as well as in terms of corona but you know here restaurants are opening up and uh, with a lot of spacing of course with limited seating uh, some yeah. sporting uh, clubs uh, they are opening up i play for a cricket club we started practicing officially as of last week we are uh, we, with summer we want to go out right so we are all looking forward to spending a bit more time outdoors so that's something uh, we don't want corona to interrupt yeah. so that's the one thing we are very specific here i mean you probably get sun right through the year right yeah we do uh, it's great weather here in barbados i encourage all of you guys listening to make a visit here <laughs> well um yeah we'll see i do hope i get an opportunity to do that at least once in my life so we'll see and i'll try to see if i can coincide uh, with a cricketing season so that i can come watch some test matches there yeah that'll be great man indeed all right and if you ever come uh, to this part of the world you know whom to look up at least i'll give you a tour of amsterdam for sure that'll be great perfect now Uh, let's get on with the cricketing topics so first thing uh, let's look at the covid-19 affected cricket news so it looks like pakistan will not be hosting a camp locally before their players depart to england uh, so basically it looks like you know they have a um, large training party or a large squad that they have assembled uh, that includes both uh, um, t20 and test players so they'll be leaving to england shortly but they are not able to host a training camp locally because of uh, logistical and safety challenges that they have what do you think about this Um well personally I I was I was a bit surprised at first because you know even here in the West Indies prior to our tour we had uh, our players going through some basic uh you know preparation bef- 
before they took off to England, we had Jason Hull and the guys from Barbados here at Pratsy at the Kensington Oval. And at every ground in the Caribbean, you would have the respective players training and getting themselves ready. It surprises me a bit because spending so long away from the game, um, you would you would think you know the Pakistani players would want to really get back in the groove of things, even if it's not intense training, um, you know, just to get a feel of things. But obviously, I'm not in Pakistan, so I don't know really the situation. And obviously, their board has seen it as a better way to you know just go to England and start fresh. So I think you know Pakistan, obviously one of the best nation cricket playing nations in the world, and they have top some already top quality players who are well experienced and well versed. So they'll know how to you know, readjust their bodies and, and get back into the thick of things. Indeed. You know, you're probably right. Yeah, sure. When you say it takes about, you know, four to five weeks to get into the right uh, frame of mind, both mentally and physically. In any case, um, yeah, it, it's not easy. I think in the Southern Asian subcontinent, it's not easy to uh, arrange yeah. these things. It'll take some time. But at least I think they're arriving really early in England. So that means they have almost a month's preparation time in England. So they'll get take the time to probably play a few practice matches and get acclimatized, I think. Right? So for me, it's always very exciting. Any team with a very good fast bowling attack when they arrive in England, for me, it's very exciting. And it's also the same for Pakistan and for West Indies. So I'll be really looking forward to those tests. What about you? Yeah, me too. I think Pakistan produces some of the best fast bowlers. You speak of the West Indies and we're now on our, you know, I would say our surge of fast bowling. Uh, a new trend, really, mm-hmm. where we're back, you know. But I would say Pakistan have been there for a long time. Um, some of the greats that they had, Wakar Yunus, etc. Um, and then you look at guys yeah. like Harris Roth, uh, Mohammed Hasnain is someone that I saw very closely when he came to the CPL last year. Uh, and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Wahab Riaz coming out of retirement and obviously Nassim Shah, Shaheen Afridi, all, all these fast bowling talents to me. I think Pakistan, when you look at youth talent in terms of fast bowling, uh, for the future, I think they may have, you know, maybe next to South Africa with Rabada and Ngidi, they may have probably the best fast bowling unit uh, looking towards the future. Indeed, that's that's uh, that looks to be true indeed. They're all very young. They could be the backbone of a very strong bowling attack for at least a decade or so. Yeah. So I think I'm going to look forward to that with a lot of uh, pleasure. I love, uh, I love to see a good fast bowler in action, as long as I'm not batting, that is. But yeah, there you go. Now, the next topic we can take a look at, um, more and more people that are in power are coming up and more or less they're echoing the same sentiment. So, the T20 World Cup looks highly unlikely in the year 2020. So, this is this comes from the chairperson of uh, Cricket Australia. That is the host board that's expected or we expect will probably host the World Cup. So, also recently, Asan Mani, the uh, Pakistan Cricket Board chairman, said yeah, the same so. thing. So, when you look at this, it looks highly unlikely that there might be a Cricket World Cup this year. Yeah, I, I definitely agree because I, I think even if it was a chance, I would tell ICC to maybe defer it for a year as everybody's saying because the I, to me, the, I know it, it will cause a bit of scheduling issues, but I think it's something that we can work around because to me, when you look at the ICC World Cup, it's like looking at, sorry, the T20 World Cup, it's like looking at a World Cup these tournaments have great prestige. You want them to, you know, you want all the players to be rearing, to be firing. You want the best quality of cricket that you can get. And I'm not sure if, you know, if we rush it at the end of this year, if we're going to be able to get that high quality, high intensity. Because remember, the West Indies in England, for example, are playing now, but all nations are slowly getting back into it at different times. So I think to even the playing field and allow for better quality of cricket, I think, you know, it would be ideal for the ICC to maybe put that off by just one year. 
well i mean we've discussed this in one of our previous episodes that you know you can always postpone it but then the next world cup is supposed to be held in india in 2021 and then if that gets postponed then it comes closer to a 50 over world cup that was again going to be held in india so mm-hmm. it 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 causes some problems but then you know we live in unprecedented times sure. uh, some adjustment has to be made to allow for cricket to still thrive so i think i think it in all likelihood this world cup will be postponed by maybe 6 months if not a whole year right i mean the thought of two world cups two cricket world cups or two t20 world cups in a year looks absurd indeed so that means if it ever gets postponed into 2021 the next tournament would have to be postponed to 2022 and so on and so on yeah. i think we'll wait wait and watch this looks like a very interesting uh, topic that will hot up a bit shortly because i don't know if you followed it icc postponed their decision by another month they are they were supposed to say this already in june now they are saying will they'll take a decision in july yeah, because they say they have one chance to make a decision yeah it's you think there's just dithering or there is some other thought process behind that i think given the amount of uncertainty in the world with this covid-19 virus i think you know nobody really knows what you know to do like for example with the cpl here in the caribbean i mean we've had Uh, we were supposed to have the draft at the end of May. It was then deferred to the beginning of June. Now it's looking at like the end of June, and I think I can't fault any governing body for the decisions that they made during this time because of so much uncertainty. And you want to have your cricketers out there playing, and I think it's already unfortunate circumstance. But as you said, it's an unprecedented world, and we have to adapt. So I think I, I have I can you know allow the ICC to take that extra time. But yeah, I would say you know definitely to not rush things and and maybe plan a bit better for next year. you've brought up the other topic i wanted to discuss with you let's get into it already so the cpl 2020 right it's now going to be held in uh, trinidad and tobago entirely mm-hmm. they've got the go ahead from the government there so are you excited yeah i'm extremely excited for many that may not know i'm actually the public relations officer and i do a lot of social media work for the barbados trident who won in last year's edition so cpl to me is one of my highlights i mean last year was an amazing year and it's one of the highlights for me of my year every year so i think i was really happy to hear that even if you know we can't have any fans obviously it's unfortunate but the fact that we're just getting to play and for me my big thing is you know pushing our youth here in the caribbean that's the only way we're going to be able to compete on a world stage and i think the cpl showcases so much of our talent uh, especially coming up not only the overseas players and i think that's so important so i'm really happy that this tournament is going to be going on Wow, that's fantastic to hear. Yeah, you probably interact closely with some players and uh, management of uh, at least Barbados Trident, if not uh, other teams as well. Do you have any interesting stories for us, Nikhil? Um, uh, you're putting me on the spot here. I have a lot actually, but I would say you know probably the most special moment was I just think you know throughout that tournament I remember um, we played a, a series of home matches during our home stint and we had lost the first two or three and. I mean the amount I remember I was at a press conference and I was asked to be interviewed and the journalist actually asked me the questions he said why did uh w- what's wrong with Alex Hales and um do you expect you know there there's no match winners in the team and and at first I was shocked obviously I knew how to handle it but I was kind of shocked because it just showed me how uh, upset our local people were with our performances and the way we were able to turn it around at the halfway point i think you know that really um defines the hard working character that we have uh, and just the entire reputation of the barbados trident's that model that we play every game with and i think you know the coaching staff well you would know because basically most of our coaching staff are all west indies coaches phil simmons roddy estwick 
our current coaches there. Trevor Penny, our fielding coach, was mm -hmm. also the fielding coach of the West Indies. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, those guys, it was a complete collective effort, and I think they really deserve to win. They worked so hard, and to win it at the end, it was really the cherry uh, on the cake. And they do have a local uh, captain. Jason Holder was also the West Indian captain. So, that must really help yep. get the fans together. Yeah, for sure. Jason Holder, I think, did a superb job last year. And, and he's just a great leader, man. Um, I think the, with the leaps and bounds that he's grown, obviously being thrown into that position really early, uh, the way he's developed this test team that's going to go to England, I think is going to compete. I think he deserves so much credit. And, and yeah, I think the West Indies cricket on a whole, to me, is just in a good place. Indeed. No, I totally agree with you. And for a 28-year-old, he's, he's so mature. He's so balanced. I really like that. And, of course, he's no mean performer, both with the bat and ball. Yeah, for sure, man. All right. So, uh, we will really look forward to how the CPL will happen. It, it, it's going to uh, be held in August this year? Yeah, it's going to be... The tentative dates are the 18th of August is supposed to begin. Obviously, the players will have to go mm. through a two-week quarantine and hopefully, you know, there's no positive cases and we can get this on the road. What are the chances of uh, the foreign contingent of players that always come, you know, light up the tournament every year? You know, for example, Pakistan would probably be playing in England. So, yeah. you know, with those cases, do you know how many foreign players would be able to make it to uh, the CPL this uh, season? Well, I do know a bit, but obviously we haven't, like, and nothing's official right now. But I think we still are going to get a bit of uh, overseas, uh, you know, that talent that you would say, that skill that they bring, that different side of the game that really unlocks the international viewing. I think we're still going to get some overseas players. As you said, there is going to be some tours going on, but... Um, that's how it is every year and you have to, you know, really look deep throughout countries. There's so much cricketing talent around the world. It's an, it's an unlimited resource, as I like to say. So I think all the teams, you know, they're going to be fine. And, and I think the international players will come and we're going to have a great tournament. All right. We do really hope, you know, it becomes a, re a real success. This is the first post-corona T20 league or tournament that's going to happen so we are all looking forward to you know looking at um, cpl being a big success that will pave way for the other tournaments like ipl coming to ipl this is a question i would like to ask somebody who probably i'm a bit biased i'm a fan of indian cricket mm -hmm. but um do you think you know with the T t20 world cup being postponed do you think uh, the other countries out there the other cricketing boards out there would accept it if uh, ipl were to be held in this window well, I think it's a really tough one, to be honest. Um, I At first, when I heard that, you know, they were trying to prioritize the IPL over the World Cup, I was kind of upset. But as you grow more towards the idea, I would say, you know, the T20 World Cup is a tournament, as I said earlier, where you want to have all these players firing and you want even playing field. The IPL, to me, is, you know, something more reliant on Indian talent because I think if you took away the overseas players from the IPL, you would still have a great tournament. Um, and I think, you know, the IPL may be a tournament where you may be able to come together a bit later and as much preparation may not need to go in, obviously being a shorter tournament. And I think it could be done. Obviously, we know the IPL is the best franchise cricket league in the world. I love it. I love the Mumbai Indians. And I think, well, everybody, there's so many people around the world that look forward to an IPL and were already disappointed when it was cancelled. So I'm sure, you know, for the viewers... Uh, IPL in a really, what's been a really trying year would you know lighten up the mood a bit a lot should I say so I, I, I think I would be all for it once there's no T20 World Cup indeed indeed so yeah that that could very well be the case let's uh, let's you know let's wait and watch on that uh, news uh, 
carefully. I think we're we're going to hear something. I have a feeling before June is out, we'll we'll hear some news about it. Moving on, I don't know if you saw this new format of cricket that South Africa are experimenting with. So it's a three-team format. It's the first ever of this sort that I have read about. It's called three TC. They call it three-team cricket. Yeah. Right. So have you read about this at all, uh, Nikhil? Yeah, I've actually I've seen it when it came in the news yesterday. I, I think it's an interesting idea. I'm not sure how effective it's going to be, but obviously that main standout was obviously A.B. de Villiers returning to the four and captaining one of the three teams. So I think um, obviously everybody's trying different things to get back into the cricket. And I, I'm, I'm all for it. If South Africa think it's going to work, well, I, I, who am I to fault them? I think, you know, they're such a, a force when it comes to their cricketing body and they've been a force to be reckoned with for a long time and they would know the best procedures to get their players back into the thick of things. The only thing I'll question is that when you have players out for so long, you may want them to spend a lot of time at the crease. And I was actually reading, I think they're only batting six overs and one opponent and then another six of the other opponents. So I don't know with this 12 over, 18 over format, if you're going to be able to get you know, batsmen getting their eye back in and, and a feel for proceedings because it's going to be have to go from ball one, like a T10. But I think at the end of the day, you know, they're getting back in the middle and it's going to be good for them. That's indeed the case. Uh, you have a good point there. But the way I look at it is that um, they are going to use it as a prep. It's like, you know, every team will play some, some format of practice games, right? Yeah. So I think they are going to use it as a way to get players you know, back into the groove of playing competitive cricket. They're going to be probably doing a lot of nets on the side of it. It's only 36 overs each, right? So I'll not get too much into the um, format because as you say, it's each team batting for six overs. After 18 overs, there's a break and there's another 18 overs worth of cricket. And so each team will have only eight players. So that means at any point in time on the field, there'll only be six fielders apart from the keeper and the bowler, that is. So, you know, I don't know if you are aware of this format of cricket called last man standing, Nikhil. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. This is a way to get more people involved in cricket where, you know, uh, they were also playing it in South Africa for sure. They played it in the Netherlands where they they involve players who are sort of in uh, sort of amateurs and also people who want to participate in cricket. They can make their own teams. It's very similar, the rules. Okay. So you have only eight people in a team and once you score 30, you have to go out and you can come back in if everybody's all if everybody else is out. So it looks like a format that's been built on top of Okay. Last man standing. And if I don't know if you have seen the ad, they do mention the um, line last man standing very clearly because apparently, again in this case, if the seven players are out and if it's only one guy left, he can bat by himself. But then there are some new rules like uh, he can only run twos or fours or sixes. So, I mean, there's no singles then. Okay. Right? That's an interesting concept. So, what I've... What I've seen is they have thought through the rules very well. I'll not... Uh, we let it uh, develop. But all I saw was it, it has picked up better than 100. If you compare it to the 100, which also seems to be a new sort of an innovation mm-hmm. that the England Cricket Board have come up with. This 3TC at least format is, is facing lesser opposition, if I may put it like this. And more people are enthusiastic about it than compared to 100. What do you think about that? Well, I don't know, actually. I think, you know, the 100, because being in England, such a dominant place for cricket, um, I think that was going to be a big, big thing for them. I'm not. I'm hoping that I can still come up. I was actually. I had purchased tickets to go and watch me and my uncle. We were going to England uh, this year in July to watch mm. the hundred, a couple of games. Um, I really like the wow. teams, the Southern Brave as well. You know, Jafarasha, David Warner, and stuff. I don't know. I think each each format has its uniqueness, and uh, I'm gonna wait and see how the hundred comes off. I really hope this three TC will be televised so that you know guys like me can tune in and learn a lot about the new format because. 
I think, you know, these all these new formats are great. Uh, and, you know, they can continue to grow the sport of cricket. Indeed. I, I don't expect the initial matches to be televised, really. But the way they... The way they are drumming it up, it very well might be. We'll see. But, you know, uh, I was hearing to another podcast. It's called the Can't Bowl, Can't Throw. Yeah, sometimes uh, some new format will take a bit of time catching up. But in the new era with the post-corona where you need uh, some uh, social distancing and even on the field and so on, maybe this might not be a very bad idea. The other thing I like is it actually involves 18 players instead of 22. I agree. But then given that it's only over 36 overs, you can probably play three of these matches in a day. You know, uh, realistically, that means you can involve a lot more players. You know, five teams, a five-team tournament or a five-team tournament structure can be completed in a weekend if you want. So, I like that as well. So, there are a lot of advantages, I see. But, you know, as I said, this is something that's new and it is exciting. At least it, for me personally, a bit more exciting than the 100 because most of the uh, rules remain aligned with what we know about cricket. It doesn't completely go away where there is a 10 ball over or each person can bowl only 5 balls. Some of those things they have not tinkered with. I like that. They have tinkered with quite a few other things. But those things, it's easier to take on board. That's what I meant. But let's see how this uh, format develops, right? So, all in all, uh, it's very exciting, Nikhil. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, moving on... um, Hick departs from the Australian uh, coaching setup as a part of COVID-19 restructuring. So, Graham Hick, who has been the batting coach for Australia for a couple of seasons already, and he's uh, sort of uh, developed a very good rapport with uh, Justin Langer, who's the head coach, apparently. And he's very well liked by the players as well, they say. In this case, unfortunately, they have had to let him go in uh, cost-cutting measures. So, they're trying to save almost Australian uh, dollars, $40 million. In, in terms, they're trying to see if they can... Uh, you know, save some money. Also, they're letting off some staff. So, he's he's unfortunately got the job there. But, um, yeah, I don't know if you followed this. Mm, do you think they'll miss him? Especially, you know, there's a joke. Marnas and Steve Smith who take all the throwdowns. Do you think they'll miss him? First of all, I mean, that's really unfortunate. The redundancies, a lot of jobs being lost. That's never good. No matter, regardless of what sport, wherever in the world, losing people, losing jobs and a way to provide food for their families is never good. I think... When it comes to cricket, obviously, you don't be a batting coach of Australia, produce two greats. Well, several greats, not two. Like, currently in the side already, David Warner, Steve Smith, Marnus Labuschagne, and the way these guys are performing the last couple of years, uh, Graham Hick deserves a lot of credit. And I'm really shocked by the decision, actually, because uh, for me, Australia's batting has been something that's really stood out, you know, traveling and, and doing really well in that Ashes. Um, so to, to let him go, I know I understand things are really desperate, and I think uh, I hoping I'm hoping that you know they're able to get him back maybe in the future when things improve. Indeed, no, indeed, that's indeed the case. But yeah, I think uh, somebody else will have to take over the throwdown duties. So <laughs> whoever that is, uh, I better uh, hope they are very fit and they can do it over long hours because apparently that's what Marnus and uh, Steve Smith do. But anyway, I think they are also able to help each other, right? They are able to do throwdowns for each other. Uh, let's see how that uh, story goes. But yeah, I think this is not the first of such news that we hear. Given in the post-COVID era where many cricketing boards are trying to restructure. This is the first one coming through. But I think many many cricketing boards might, you know, uh, trim down their support staff. Let me put it like that. Yeah, I think so. Well, I think as measures, you know, increase, the unfortunate, this unfortunate situation is going to continue. So I'm hoping things can get better quickly so that we can get back to some normalcy and that's where you'll probably see, you know, otherwise it's, I think it's might, you may have a lot of redundancies happening because obviously, as you just said, you know, boards are trying to save money and, and not have to expend 
Hmm. Indeed. All right. Let's get into the meat of the matter here. So it's the West Indian tour of England. So West Indian squad have already arrived and are quarantining in England. So excited about this tour, Nikhil? Yeah, extremely excited. Um, I have a lot of friends that you know get an opportunity for the first time, and I, I overall be even above that. I think just the fact that we're getting some high high level cricket. Um, we're gonna see you know the Wisden Trophy, which always, always, always produces something. Uh, really great, a phenomenon, as I like to say. And we saw in 2019, 2017, both was really uh, highly competitive series. And and I can tell you the West Indies are going to be ready for England and whatever they put out there. Let's take a look at the squads from both the sides. Let's start off with West Indies. Right. So, unfortunately, three people have decided to pull out. You know, it's understandable. But uh, for Darren Bravo, Shemron Hetmeyer and Kimo Powell, do you think it's a blow for the team for them to pull out? Um, yeah, I do, because I think with the experience that Darren Bravo carries, um, and, and also Shimon Hetmeyer, he hasn't lived up to his, as much potential as he has, but I would say that top order does worry me a bit, because these guys were playing, you know, game in, game out, and you, you have confidence in them. Even if they're not getting scores, you just have confidence in them. So to bring new guys into the side, I have no doubt that the likes of uh, Nkrumah Bonner, who did really well in our first class season, um, you know, guys like Shamar Brooks can step up. I have no doubt in that. But it would have been good to have, you know, those guys at your disposal, especially Hetmeyer and Bravo in the batting. Uh, Bravo with the international experience that he has playing all over the world, doing well in conditions like New Zealand, etc. Um, to, you know, carry him to England as well. But obviously, I can't fault these guys for not wanting to go because these are dangerous times and they just simply didn't think that the risk was worth it. So that's all. Look, from an individual player perspective, that's perfectly understandable. And the team will make do without them, right? It's it's uh, safety first. And mental mental peace that your family is safe, you're safe, is more important than, you know, going far away and then struggling later to perform because you're still worried about uh, your loved ones back home. That makes a lot of sense. But for me, somehow, you know, Shimran Hetmeyer and uh, Kimo Paul are both very young. Their time will come. But somehow I feel... Yeah, okay. For Darren Bravo, the time is running out. He might not get so many more opportunities. You know, he's on, he's still mid, not at mid thirties, I think. And uh, people from the Caribbean can play longer; it's not a problem. But do you think the time is running out for him, Darren Bravo? Well, I would not say it's running out. I would say you know a lot depends on this series. Being that we, I'm seeing a lot, especially in our first class cricket, a lot of top order batsmen that are doing very well. Look in the reserves. You have, for example, Shane Mosey. He's an opener. Did very well this year. Um, Shamar Brooks, someone who scored 100 against Afghanistan recently, he bats in that similar position to Darren Bravo. You mentioned Shimon Hetmeyer, Shea Hope, two young guys coming through the system. And of course, we have a lot of other guys, you know, through the hinge, uh, on the hinges of, of breaking into the team. So yeah, I would say Darren Bravo does need to be careful. But we know, I know the prowess that Darren Bravo carries and his ability. He has a lot. And I still think, you know, there's enough time for him to live up to that. Um, big expectation that we had when he first started his career and, and become one of the best bats in the West Indies ever seen. I think he had a lot of uh, comparisons to another, uh, let's say, a more classy mm-hmm. left-hander, if I may call him that. That that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of expectations to start a career off. So I, I that's unfortunate for him. I I accept that, but uh, you know I I always think he's underperformed a bit. He can he can do more. He can find a bit more consistency if he can. That'll make him a much better batsman. That's that's my thoughts. I don't know if you agree with those. Yeah, I do. I think consistency has been where he, you know, has lacked. It's definitely not been the talent because we know how talented he is. And yeah, um, I, I think 
with a bit more consistency. I think that that period away from the game really did, you know, hurt his process because I think before that he was doing really well. It's unfortunate that he had that sort of bust up with the cricket board, but I don't know. I'm just hoping, you know, he can get back to his normal self. And I mean, that 218 against New Zealand, I, I watched every ball of it. Wow. That to me showed me what that what Darren Bravo is really like. So yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I definitely think there's a chance for him to get back to that normal self. Indeed. Uh, well, let's just hope he bounces back and, you know, has many more productive years for West Indies. When we look at the rest of the squad, at least the main squad, I see a lot of, you know, names that we know in one format or the other. For example, Nkrumah Bonner or Shamar Brooks, we know them. They're new, relatively new. Rakim Konwal, who's sort of started off very well. The rest of the names sort of are known. Um, Jemlin Blackwood is coming back. But then you have one new name there, uh, Chimar Holder, a fast bowler. What are your thoughts on him? Shamar Holder, I think, extremely talented. He's actually from Barbados. I know him very well. Mm-hmm. Um, he did extremely well this year, 36 wickets in eight matches. Um, and I think he was, Barbados actually won the first class title this year. And I think he was one of the main reasons why his ability to pick up wickets at crucial intervals. And just, I think, the pace that he carries, he's definitely going to be one for the future. He's extremely talented. And his ability to surprise batsmen, you know, he's very sharp off the surface, gets a lot of bounce as well. And one thing that stands out to me is his fitness because he's able to come back in second and third spells. And dominate and bowl very very well and and you know be, be at that same around that same pace that he was when he started uh the inning so i think shamar holder he's someone that works very hard and i know he's very happy for this moment and yeah um obviously again it's spent a bit of time with him at the trident last year and i've known him for a long time before he's even you know got to the trident or done any of this so i know how much he wanted this and and yeah i think great things are on his path all right, all right. That's very nice to hear. And then that's another very exciting fast bowling talent to look up to or look forward to. In this case, um, you know, it's all a bunch of fast bowlers who are right-handed. There's one exception, Raymond Reefer, right? Do you think he'll get to play as well in the store? Or I, I Given that there's uh, Kimar Roach, there's Chimar uh, Holder, there's, of course, the captain. And you have Alzari Joseph as well. Um, do you think Raymond Reefer will get a game? He bowls at a slightly lower pace. I've seen him. I've seen him in action on TV. Um, I think it depends on the selection of the West Indies coaches. And, but I think it, for me, it's between him and Rakim Cornwall. If they opt to not go with the spinner and want to play the extra seamer, I mm-hmm. think Ray Marifa is the perfect option simply because he gives you that extra with the bat. And mm-hmm. I think a guy that has scored 52 runs in one test match and never played again is really unfortunate. So I really want him. I know Raymond well, and I want him to get that opportunity because I think he deserves it. He traveled with the West Indies for a long time. Unfortunately, didn't get his opportunity because of the prowess of Jason Holder. And that one test when Jason Holder stepped out in New Zealand, he scored 52 runs uh, combined and got two wickets. So he didn't do badly. And I think, you know, he's someone that has so much talent. We saw it in the CPL. He's one of our very few cross-format um you know, bowlers that we have in the in the Caribbean. He, he picked up 14 wickets in the CPL. I think he could definitely be the future of West Indies cricket in all three formats because, um, and, and even with for Guyana, he does very well with the bat as well. So I think on a whole, Raymond definitely deserves the opportunity. If he'll get it is another thing. But if the West Indies do up to play that extra pace, I think he will break into the team for Rakim Cornwall. All right. My personal opinion would be that, you know, I you have Roston Chase who bowls more or less a similar uh, sort of a thing, though. Rakim Kanwal is a more uh, accurate bowler and a much more consistent one, I must say. Uh, yeah, yeah if, because you have Roston Chase in the team and who's more or less a guaranteed starter, 
you could sort of swap Rahim Cornwall with a left arm variety that Raymond Reefer brings. And if he can hold his lines and, you know, pose those questions across um, the off stump to the batsman, that will be a very good thing. He'll bring a very good, uh, let's say, a change to the team. But before we move away from the bowling, I have two names that I see in the reserve players list that I would love to see on the team sheet. Shannon Gabriel and O'Shane Thomas. What do you think of this? Well, before I get to those guys, we're talking about fast bowling. Actually, funny enough, I went on a press conference this morning with Shannon Gabriel, and he also right. outlined this. I must say, you know, you, you say at the top of the show that you love fast bowling, but I think you're looking at reserve side combined with this, um, you know, team. And for those out there listening to this that may not know, the West Indies, I think, is almost there in terms of coming back with our pace bowling. And I think they've carried some very talented seam bowlers to, on this tour, even in the reserve squad. Shannon Gabriel actually said in his press conference this morning, he said, I look at all the paces we've carried and any of them can cause problems for batsmen in England. And, and guys like Marquinho Minley, Keon Harding, mm-hmm. Preston McSween, these guys that many may not know, t- took a lot of wickets in our first class here. And that shows me Anderson Phillip, these sort of names that people may not know, not the mainstream names. These sort of things show me that West Indies cricket, especially fast bowling, is in a good place because we're able to produce fast bowlers at a, a, you know, a high level. And I think these guys, there's so much competition for these four or three places for fast bowlers that it really is a good look for West Indies cricket, especially in the fast bowling department. What I'll say on Shannon Gabriel and O'Shane Thomas now, um, firstly, Shannon Gabriel, I think, obviously, he's the leader of our attack. He had that gruesome right angle injury, and I think, if we can get him back for at least one or two test matches at 100, he told me he's at 85%. Now, if he can get him back close to 100%, he can really cause some problems for England because in 2019, when England came to the Caribbean, we attacked England with that pace. Kimar Roach, guys like Jason Holder, Alzari Joseph as well. And it worked. I mean, we bowled out England for 77 in a match. We did very well against them to win the Wisdom Trophy. And I asked Shannon this morning, funny enough, do you think that approach can be taken, that attacking approach? And he said, yes. And obviously, we know Shannon Gabriel is everything to do with attacking and aggressive. So I definitely think, you know, Shannon Gabriel is the right man for the job. And he can add a lot to that scene bowling uh, unit. O'Shane Thomas now, before you get into uh, things, I think it's a really great move. I could tell Phil Simmons really likes O'Shane Thomas. And how could he not? I mean, the talent that he has. And I think it's going to be a great learning experience for O'Shane. If he can break into the team is another thing. Obviously, he hasn't played a test yet. But just on a whole, I mean, going to England, playing in these conditions, and obviously he would have went there for the World Cup, but in a test format now, because I think O'Shane Thomas definitely has a future in the red ball game. Indeed. I mean, when I saw him bowl the first time, I remember saying it about 20 episodes ago in one of our podcasts. With him on one side and Shannon Gabriel on the other, right? What a fast bowling attack to start off with. Then you have Jason Holder to hold one end and you have... Kimar Roach or somebody else, even Alzari yeah. Joseph making up the top four. You're almost back to those, you know, the glory days of fire in Babylon, yeah. for me at least. That's like a scary, scary bowling unit. You have nowhere to hide if you're a batsman, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that bowling lineup at their peak would, you know, compare to the likes of Australia, South Africa, the same Pakistan that we spoke about. But the key is, you know, staying healthy and continuously working hard to get there and continue growing as a team. I think the West Indies fast bowling unit has grown leaps and bounds from when they first started probably three or four years ago. And I think Jason Holder, obviously being the number one all-rounder, Kimar Roach is in the top 10 bowl test bowlers. Shannon Gibber is up there as well. And Alzari Joseph, to me, has so much potential. Um, obviously just held back by that back injury. But if I think if he wasn't that, he has the amount potential he has. He could be one of the best test bowlers in the world. Agreed. So bowling-wise, they look in a very good 
you know place but for me what really bothers him is the top order and the middle order batting so you know you have craig brathwaite let's quickly visit that story he's gone back to haines desmond haines to try and rediscover his form so i i, I don't know if you know, have any more updates on this because i think you're close to him you said yeah i'm actually close to craig i uh, we play for the same club here in barbados yeah obviously craig he knows him to himself everybody knows it he's had a poor two years and i mean as he said you know you can't you can't do well all the time and we've really required some performances from him at crucial times look back to 2017 he scored 283 runs in that series obviously doing well at headingley with she hope to give west indies that test win but to me craig is the sort of player that loves playing for the west indies so much that i know he's really on the on the hinges now on the fringes sorry and i th- i'm i'm really hoping if i know the craig brother that i know i i expect him to come well in this series because of how much pressure is on him and just because of how much he loves doing uh his job which is opening the batting for the west indies he's that sort of player um extremely dedicated to west indies cricket he's stable and if if he can do his job and see off the new ball um before he even thinks about scores just see off the new ball it'll make things so much easier for the west indies especially with no saliva being used to shine the ball we would normally expect john campbell to partner him at the top right yeah for sure um i think yeah john campbell well he had some good starts against especially against england last year in the caribbean but there's another good opening batsman in shane mosey who's also a left-hander um who scored you know above 450 runs this year you know in our first class uh circuit so i think you know we have we're we're producing some good opening batsmen as well it's starting to come through now because it's been an area where we've lacked in the past um but i've been impressed with shane mosey he scored you know 600 runs in his first year and he scored 490 this year is the exact number we're looking for so i think he's very talented and it ha- it makes a good look that we have someone to replace any of the openers given a run of poor performances agreed now that that would be good as well it could it could be a breakthrough to or if he gets an opportunity there for him what is a bit more concerning for me is the middle order and the lower middle so you have you know probably shamar brooks at 3 then you have um, yeah shai hope at 4 right then you would have uh, at 5 probably roston chase and then at 6 for me it's a throw between jermaine blackwood and somebody like sunil lambris i don't know if you know any other names in the squad that you think would fit in at number 6 there well i think um personally what i would go with if i was a selector i would let hope bat at 3 i would let shamar brooks bat at 4 and i would let blackwood bat at 5 and then chase 6 and dowrich yeah. and jason holder 7 and 8 and then between cowell and refund um 9 Um I I think in terms of looking at other names and Kruma Bonner is somebody that come back in the top order you're right that the top order for me is the main concern simply because of those the, the you know doing without the absence of those guys Shimron Hatmeyer Dan Bravo um I think you know having some and Kruma Bonner showed me this year in first class cricket that he's able to bat through tough situations not the most experienced you know but um I think it could be an opportunity for someone like him to bat in the top order And and yeah, I think I have confidence in Jermaine Blackwood because he scored 768 runs this year. But what stood out to me was that strike rate was only 57.65 in first class cricket, which shows me I saw a really brand of maturity, and that's what our chief selectors was saying. You know, um, the reason he was picked again, I thought he was already a bit too wild in the past, but the way he's come back into things and the maturity he's shown, responsibility this year, I think he could be the right man for the job, and he has 100 in England already. Yeah, indeed, that's one of the things. Uh, Shai Hope has not been able to live up to those uh, heady days where he won that uh, Test match for England uh, for West Indies. So, I'm also looking forward to that. 
Now, all in all, it's going to be a very close, uh, close competition, no doubt. If you were to take a quick look at the England squad, right? So again, they have a very, very nice balanced squad. You have Jorud, the captain. You have Moin Ali returning. Then, when it comes to bowling stocks, you have James Anderson, Jofra Archer, and Stuart Broad. Right? These are the three main names. But then you have plenty of support. You have Sam Curran to support. And then they have included uh, some raw pace in terms of Sakib Mahmood. You have Craig Overton as well and Jamie Overton, the twins. And of course, you can never forget somebody like Ben Stokes. So when it comes to fast bowling and Chris Wokes as well, right? And Mark Wood. So I see plenty of names. When it comes to fast bowling, good God. England are also equally stacked. Are equally, you know, it's a blow for blow there. I think they may even have the edge on us because the names that you call, you know, James Anderson, Stuart Broad, Jafar Archer, it's like never-ending. Chris Wokes, Ben Stokes, these guys, uh, with, with their experience. I mean, we have guys coming through the system. These guys are well-proven. James Anderson, probably the best test bowler to ever live. Uh, and he, you know, the, the way these guys bowl, what encourages me is that we did a pretty decent job when they came to the West Indies last year. But obviously, there's a change in conditions and they're adding Jafar Archer. So I don't think it's going to be easy at all for the West Indies. And that's to me, makes Craig Brathwaite and the likes of Shea Hope's jobs even more important. Agreed. No, agreed. When it comes to fast bowling, there's no better bowler than probably James Anderson in English conditions in England, right? So, with the Duke ball, he, he's probably a magician. So, that's going to be something to see through the opening spell of um, Stuart Broad and uh, Anderson, no doubt. But then you have a certain Mr. Archer who's waiting to probably prove a point or two. And then you have, of course, probably Ben Stokes to back him up. This is probably the starting 11 uh, when it comes to fast bowling. But if the conditions are suitable, they may go for the extreme pace of somebody like Mark Wood or Sakib Mahmood. So, you know, th- this is going to be a real, real challenge right here. But then when it comes to spin, there are no, uh, there's no mean, uh, you know, uh, people there. So you have Moin Ali, you have Dom Bess, and you have Amar Verdi. So I see three good names there. How about spin? Do you think spin will play any part in this tour at all? Or is it going to be fast bowling dominated? No, I think it, does, it could have a part to play. Moin Ali's record in England speaks for itself. And we know how effective he is. And I think that's one of the reasons he was uh, brought back in. Jack Leach is there as well uh, in terms of spinning options. But I don't, I don't know. I think it's going to be a, a dominated by fast bowling. Look at both of the constructs of the teams. But I do think off spinners, they always have a part to play in, in England. Uh, for me, Raheem Cornwall, I'm really hoping he can do well. However, he's someone that bowls with a lot of drift. And I just hope, you know, the. I, I wonder if he really requires, because I actually saw a video from Saklin Mushtaq um, talking about how much shine, you know, how shine impacts the drift of balls for our spinners and spinners on a whole. So I just hope that won't affect him too much. But I know, you know, those conditions, he's <laughs> Raheem Cornwall, someone who swings the ball. So. Uh, before it turns. So he those conditions may even help him. But yeah, Moinali's record speaks for himself. And I think he has the potential to do very well um, in England. He actually dismissed Craig Brathwaite the most in that 2019 series. Um, so yeah, I think he his record speaks for himself, especially in England. Indeed. Now, I, I forgot Jack Leach. Thanks for bringing that up. But as you say, probably sure. Jack Leach and between him and Dombes are the, let's say, the people with the role in hand. Moinali and Amar Virdi, these people come from the outside. As things stand, I don't really see Moin Ali getting a game, at least at the beginning of the series. But who knows, right? Uh, probably in the third Old Trafford test, because look, they are going to play three tests. So it's going to be the first one in Southampton, which is which I expect will be definitely seem dominated. The second one, Old Trafford, and the third one is again at Old Trafford. The second and the third game will probably be a more even contest of bat and ball, right? 
and then the third one because it's going to be played in the same ground and maybe maybe even in an adjacent pitch i think spin will come more and more into it what do you say yeah as i think in as the game progresses on that in that third test i am hoping that it's maybe 1-1 or the west indies are 2-0 up mm-hmm. <laughs> as unlikely as that sounds mm-hmm. but because i think yeah that's when the spin is really going to come in because they're going to have a weary pitch on on those third and fourth days and th- those surfaces are going to be into eight and nine days of test cricket so I, I i definitely think you know in the third test match is where we're going to see the teams you know put out their best spin attack if we were to look at the batting um, i think england are really really good they have jorud who might miss a test they say you know ben stokes might take his place as the captain because he's expecting a baby jorud in that during the series so we don't know about that yet but you have jorud leading the charge you have as you know fairly settled opening pair there and still they they still have keaton jennings and some other people who would probably be knocking on the door you have rory burns who bats really well and uh, look when it comes to some new people there i don't know if uh, johnny bestos for example trying to make a comeback you have you currently have um, you know the keeper is sort of fixed but you have ben fox and you have um, johnny bestos both of whom are probably trying to make a comeback in the place of josh butler at least along with josh butler do you think there they'll have a chance again in the series the keeper one of those three Um I'm not sure actually. I think, you know, all any all, all of them, especially Johnny Bear, so I saw the video of him say he wants to keep again and I think regardless England all those guys have are really good with the gloves and really good with the bat. Uh in in terms of the batting, I would say England have been exposed in the past. They came to the Caribbean and we did very well in terms of with the ball, so I don't think it's a one-sided affair at all when it comes to West Indies bowling and England batting. But obviously names like Joe Root uh Johnny Bairstow, Josh Butler, Ben Stokes, these guys are, you know, proclaimed in international cricket. So it's going to be very tough for the West Indies, but it's not a mountain that I think that we can't climb. Mhm. Let's see, let's see. Before we move on to what the results could really be, I I would like to go into Jofra Archer for just a minute. Do you think he has a point to prove there? Do you think he's looking forward to this contest? I heard some spicy words there from Kimar Roach before uh, even the tournament has begun. Shots were fired. What do you have to say there? Yeah, I think um well Jofra is a sort of player. I I've talked to him a couple of times and he's a sort of player that you know he will he always has a point to prove regardless of the opposition because he's just that sort of player that always wants to do well on the big day. And yeah, I I think the British media is trying to, you know, get the Jofra Archer out of the West Indians and I think yes, Jofra Archer is from Barbados and yes, you know, he could be playing for the West Indies, but at the end of the day he's made a decision and i mean he's playing for england now and i don't think the west indies are you know harping on that too much at the end of the day he is uh playing for england and he's like any other of one of the 11 teammates that are that team members that the west indies are going to be facing so i don't think there'll be any differences in in preparing maybe jofra will want to you know do especially well to show people that he should be playing but at the end of the day i think you know um jofra has a, a really good relationship with a lot of the players in the west indies and business is business on the field i think it would be the west indies are going to take jofra archer as seriously as if pat cummins or mitchell start was to turn up so yeah that's my take on things and i would i would totally agree with you there he's as dangerous a bowler as either of those so that totally makes sense yeah, and of course you would have a beer at the end of the day or you know sit down for a talk no no doubt but then yeah, when you're on the field uh, he's in he's playing for the opposition no matter what friendships there were before they'll probably be yeah. set aside for those couple of hours agreed so when it comes to the all rounders so you know ben stokes is probably one of the best but 
would you see a contest that uh, ben stokes versus jason holder here you know, both are premier test all rounders so that's another really tasty contest for me do you think matches might be decided just on this contest well i definitely think it's a big contest because obviously the two of them are vying for that one or two all rounders spot in the test rankings with the absence of shakib al hasan um yeah i think more so the westernies rely on jason holder especially with the bat he saves us time and time again him and shane dowrich um for england ben stokes he he we know he's a you know day in day out performer and yeah i think that could be one of the battles of the series but and and also ben stokes does have a history with getting into things with west indian players for example marlon samuels etc so i i don't know if it'll be a head to head battle but the, listen the westernies will be looking to you know play every person that comes out to bat there whoever their name is regardless of who they are um you know like uh, like an enemy with with real aggression because the westernies want to win and they want to do well they want to continue developing right now let's uh, ask the tough question here what do you think will be the three test match series result um i'm going to go for a 1-1 i'm going to say one test will draw the westernies will win one england will win one because I am hoping that this can be the result even the Westerns can get a win but I think it's going to be so tough playing in England conditions you know with the team that they've put out here um and of course England would be wanting you know to get that back to to really get their revenge after last year but yeah one one I would take you know we retain the wisdom trophy the Westerns will win a test match and get our first points on the board in terms of the uh world test championships yeah that's a very relevant uh, point you brought back we still don't know how the world test championship will look after this break where so many tests were lost uh, we'll probably hear about it from the world body but until then you're absolutely right i'm going to put my weight on the england camp i'm going to back them to take the series 2-0 okay simply because west indies will definitely get a draw in one of these three tests right this is my feeling as well but the first test where they land and they're probably very well prepared but england will probably outclass them the fast bowling attack slightly i, I think they have an edge there so yeah, in sure. southampton england will edge it and in the end the f- last test match where it will probably go into the last session of the last day this is my thinking about it england will persevere and probably prevail just because of the experience and you know the way they play their cricket so i'll probably give the series 2-0 to england but you know who knows we've said it here we're going to watch out for it after the series right i'll probably invite you for another yeah. guest uh, appearance here that will be good that's fine that'll be great but um yeah even you know even if the westernies do get beat what i want to see is us competing because i think too many times in the past we've played the big sides like india england australia etc and we haven't been able to compete and if games can go down to the last session like you say we can draw a test match i'll be still happy with that because you know coming off of a long period without cricket even just to compete and we see a lot of young talent coming through this series i'm going to be happy so yeah it's it's more than just this series agreed no i totally agree there and i have no doubts in my mind west indies will compete hard that i will not that there is no doubt in my mind there so you know all in all a very exciting test series to look forward to let's move on and take a look at some of the off field news right so there's this weird news that i read recently that somehow in the asian cricket council meeting last week uh, pcb the pakistan cricket board has agreed to swap the asia cup tournament with the sri lankan cricket board so the cricket board of uh, sri lanka has put out a statement saying they'll be hosting this year's edition of the asia cup whereas uh, somehow bcc has taken a lot of objection they are saying we were not even sure who whether this tournament will be hosted we are already talking of who will be the host and there's already a host swap you know there was no idea when this decision was taken and whether they were consulted about it do you think this is just a bit of needling going on or there's more to it 
I don't know enough to, to really comment on this issue. I, I think the Asia Cup is something a lot of people look forward to. And obviously, there's nothing confirmed. So we don't know, you know, if India were told about it or not. But I know India's, you know, the sort of board that always want to host big tournaments like these. So I'm sure, you know, at the end of the day, things will be ironed out. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the Asia Cup. Uh, really great battles there. You see teams like Afghanistan and Bangladesh really come out and compete. And yeah, I think that's important. No, this part I totally agree with you. You know, it, it's very, very strong field. Six nations, probably even with Hong Kong or somebody joining, it might be six to seven nations competing. But it might not be that simple, simply because it's again a multi-team tournament. And how do you arrange the statistics? How do you arrange the logistics of keeping all of them together and yet separate and then allowing them to uh, quarantine and then come back and playing in empty stadiums? I still think multi-team tournaments are very tough in the year 2020. So based on that, I have a very good belief this tournament also might have to be postponed but let's look at that as the story develops i don't think we've heard the last of this moving on um the manufacturers uh of the duke's ball a british cricket balls limited right the managing director has said you know don't think too much about what needs to be done to shine the ball just use a piece of cotton cloth right don't shine it on anything artificial he says just use a uh, cotton cloth and that'll be fine even though you can't use saliva anymore you can put a bit of perspiration, but what is important is you let the wax that's coating the ball, you know, that, that gets permeated into this cotton cloth you carry and you can then use it to continue shining the ball. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, obviously, I'm still learning and being, you know, educated on cricket balls, etc. But what I'll say to that is I, I'm hoping that he's right because otherwise I think our bowling on a, bowlers on a whole will have a serious issue if, you know, we can't shine balls because you, you're going to have completely complete domination by batsmen guys like jimmy anderson and all these guys will be unable to swing the ball for a long period of time without swing so mm-hmm. um I, I know like a lot it's a big talking point around the world shannon gabriel he's he came out today and said that he doesn't believe you know any artificial product should be used and um came out for, for di- on a different note said you know they're gonna try and find other ways to shine the ball so i've heard so many different things about vaseline and you know so much other things and yeah i think you know for example, with the cotton cloth, what I'll say to that is when you start a, a innings and the ball still has its shine and, and that gloss, as you mentioned, you can shine it in your pants, in your trousers, in your shirt. But after a while, you know, when that gloss is gone, you really use that saliva to, you know, fill in those spots where the ball maybe, um, you know, blemished a bit. And now with no saliva or sweat, I think it's going to be really tough, you know, to, to fill in those spots with a cloth because... Um, you know, unless you have a substance on the cloth to shine and, and replenish the ball, I, I don't see how they're going to get it to swing for as long as possible as they did when they were able to, to shine it with saliva. Recently, many ex and current cricketers are talking about it. And indeed, well, sweat is allowed, saliva is not. But still, I don't think it'll, it'll really um, be the same without trying to use something to shine the ball. Kukabara was talking of, uh, you know, introducing um, some wax-like substance on a small bottle which you can apply directly on the ball and shine it. But I know what you're saying. It's not going to be that easy. But this season, it'll, it'll have to be a trial and error as well. Uh, some people like Tendulkar suggested use a new ball every 50 hours instead of 80, for example, you know, to keep the shine a bit longer or keep the shine newer. So there are some ideas being mooted. Let's see. We have not heard anything from ICC about it. When they took the re- uh, recently, when they made some decisions about allowing a COVID substitute and these things, they have not said anything about, you know, maybe reducing the time in which a new ball becomes available. So this is something we can, again, still look forward to. Let's see how that goes. Well, in the last news that we look at today, 
I don't know if you remember Shrishan, the Indian fast bowler who got banned uh, after being caught in yeah, IPL sure. trying to fix a spot fixer in a yeah, match. Man, so yes, yeah. it looks like he's making a comeback. Uh, at least uh, it's it's all still reports. Nothing is confirmed that he might play in one of the uh, for one of the provincial Ranji team uh, Ranji Trophy teams, Kerala, from which he began. There are some reports coming through. Do you think it's a good thing for a person like him to make a comeback and get another chance at cricket? Because he was never convicted officially by a court. I think, um, obviously, he's someone that did very well in the game before. He, you know, took an absence. And, I mean, if he wants to come back and play the game that he loves so much, I can't fault him for that. I mean, you know, if he thinks he has the ability and wants to come back and compete, everybody can, anybody can compete on the um, domestic level and try to, you know, make a case for themselves to get into the international team. So I can't fault Shrisant for that. And, yeah, I hope things go well for him. Obviously, as you said, he was never convicted in a court. But obviously that match fixing is not something that's really, you know, it's not something that's encouraged at all. And, um, yeah, I would hope that he wasn't involved in that and, and that he can come back a, a better person if he ever was. Let's look forward to this news. And if he does get a chance, I hope, uh, you know, he's come back a better person. Well said there. So moving on, let's look at the trivia question. So the trivia question from the last episode was, which country holds the record for the most number of consecutive tests or continuous tests without a draw? I'd given some hints to you off, off air as well, I remember. Do you have a guess on this? I'm going to go with the West Indies. Oh man, you've sold your team short here. I don't think if you look at the record now, and now I'm going to say the answer, the answer is Zimbabwe. Oh, wow. They went at some point in time, 26 tests in a 12-year period without a draw. Right, between 2005 and 2017, it looked like uh, Zimbabwe played 26 tests and they never had a draw in that. I don't know how many they won, but I know they lost a lot of that. At least I can say 80% of those tests were probably lost. Right. So this this question is um, courtesy of um, Deepu Narayanan on Twitter. He's an avid uh, cricket statistician. So those uh, who are into stats, uh, I think he works closely with Crickbuzz as well. So you can follow his Twitter account. The trivia question from this episode because we are talking so much about England, uh, West Indies. So, which bowler has the best bowling analysis in England WI tests or England West Indies tests? So, I don't know if you already have an answer, Nikhil. You may probably want to tell it to me off air. Well, based on my answer to that last question, I don't know if... <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry about it. It is advised that I answer this. This has a slightly more obvious answer. But uh, you know what? We'll discuss it off air. You know what? I would like to say thanks to you. Thanks for coming on Armchair Cricket. Would you like to talk a bit more about your own podcast, Nikhil? Yeah, so actually, Carib Cricket, I have to, you know, really thank two guys, Michelle and Santoki. Um, they were, they, I'm not the founder of Carib Cricket. I'm here representing them, but I've worked very closely with them. They're, you know, an outlook in the UK for an, for really Caribbean cricket. And they bring a, a completely different perspective on things. It's something I really respect them for doing, you know, because there's so many people from the Caribbean living in the UK that follow avidly. Um, West Indies cricket and they wanted that sort of you know West Indian approach and these two guys have provided it um, at such a great level we're going to do so many great things especially through this series so you guys can follow us at Carib Cricket and that's C-A-R-I-B Cricket um, on Instagram and on Twitter Twitter is our main feed but we're trying to you know start off the uh, Instagram and even try to get a YouTube page because we want to you know put out some analysis uh, after every day of this series coming up for these three tests so I think yeah, great things are in the works and, and everybody's just looking forward to this series. I want to thank you so much for having me on to the podcast. I think it was really great. And yeah, I'm really excited that, you know, this series has provided so much opportunities. But yeah, I just want to thank Carib Cricket and Armchair Podcast once again. 
no it was always a pleasure so um, for a for a person so young i will say it out loud you have a very balanced outlook on the game and i hope you can grow with this and you know one day who knows you might be the next uh, red spurrer of the region well let's hope so um, i would be amazing that's one of my dreams you know to uh, mirror guys like red spurrer and tony cozy and even today today's game harsha bogle and so many others so yeah thanks so much for the opportunity and i i'm really hoping that i'm able to you know one day do do something that i really love and follow my dreams good luck with that man for those of our regular listeners who want to give us an answer or get in touch with us you know the usual way on twitter it's at amchakrikpod or via mail it's amchakrikpod@gmail.com you can also get in touch with us um whenever you know you feel like you could give us an answer to the trivia question we always ask so there are many ways in which you can keep us boosted so uh, we do hope you are tuned in and we have your company for all the upcoming episodes as well so thanks a lot nikhil and uh, i would like to say a goodbye Yeah thank you so much once again and to all the viewers do be safe out there you know continue to be cautious covid is not gone and it could very well come back for a second wave and let's just get back to normalcy so be very careful and be safe nicely put goodbye you're listening to the armchair cricket podcast